with Eli this weekend. Um, we're going to be going over, we're picking up where we left off for the last episode, going over Isaiah, and it's also going to be a little bit, uh, we're going to wrap this episode off at the end. Um, hey, Eli, you doing good? Hi, guys. How are we doing again? Uh, I'm back. So, last episode, um, we basically... We're going. What I'm doing is I'm going over Isaiah's. I believe it's like 66 chapters, and because it's such a big book, I'm going over each chapter and identifying Latter Day prophecies and seeing what is said, and hopefully, hopefully, seeing if it fills in the blanks of other prophecies given by other individuals. And um, you know, we got Balaam saying the shits from Kittim will go against Asher. We got. Daniel was saying this shit's for Kittim will go against the king of the north. So I'm seeing Asher and the king of the north being the same individual and knowing that Daniel says that this king of the north is this antichrist individual and that's basically given to us through chapters 10, 11, and 12 of Daniel. Um, so I'm straying away from those prophets and I'm going to the other prophets starting with uh, Isaiah and I've been looking at other ones but because Isaiah is so big we're going to be doing this one step at a time, see right. what we can get from it. Um, and today I'm going to be going back over chapter 16 and working my way all the way through chapter 27. And it is a very big book. Um, and I went over chapter 16 uh, last episode, uh, verses 1 through 7. Let, uh, and it goes over, let Moab sojourn among you after the oppressor is no more. And we know that the oppressor is the king of Babylon. That's told us to us from... Isaiah 14. It's the same guy. It's still Isaiah. So he's always told us that the oppressor is the king of Babylon. That's in 14. And that song against the king of Babylon has helped us get this far. You know, Cedars live and not rejoice. Blah, blah, blah. And so it continues on with that same language. And we know about Moab. Uh, Moab has been another significant uh, subject as far as the and it, it will strike Moab through what Balaam said and those oracles in Numbers 24 and then we get to well if we go back to chapter 14 we know it's all important but verse 25 says I will break Asher in my land so Asher as Balaam said and as I'm linking into the king of the north still a consistent subject I will break Asher in my land and we're going to identify him as this antichrist false prophet Thing. And that's when you have to go back to Daniel and read a little bit more about that to get that understanding. And that's where I'm hoping to eventually get to. Um, then, chapter 17, we have Damascus turning into a heap of ruins. And we have Ephraim loses its fortress. And we've already got Hosea, chapter 5, I believe, saying Ephraim gets destroyed in the latter days. So now we got Hosea and Isaac basically saying. Ephraim gets destroyed and they lose her fortress. Same, similar language. Something bad happens to Ephraim in this latter-day setting. Um, then we get to chapter 18. And chapter 18, the only reason why I'm bringing this up is because there is a Christian commentary attached to chapter 18. And when they read the whole chapter 18, is from what I've read, that even looking at it and studying the history at the time, the Ethiopians offered an alliance to the God of Israel concerning Assyria, but God basically is saying that he doesn't need their help, but the time will come when the Ethiopians will actually worship him at Mount Zion. And Christian commentary says, says that that prophecy was fulfilled 
in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 8, verses 23, uh, 26 through 40. But when you actually read that whole thing, I feel like that prophecy hasn't been fulfilled to its full potential. Right. So um, I can see that being a Latter-day prophecy to fulfill chapter 18. Like, you're offering well, your help now, but the time will come when you will right. worship me. And, like... It said that history repeats itself. So even yes. even if that was the, the start of fulfilling that prophecy, that doesn't mean that that prophecy won't fulfill itself many times. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I think that's what's so interesting about I haven't even gotten to that portion in Isaiah yet, but there's a verse that Christians link to uh, the coming of the king of Zion, coming, on, coming in on the cult of an ass. And, you know, the Messiah, yes, he is king. And, yes, that did happen. But if you keep reading that chapter that that verse comes from, it says he will speak peace to the heathen. We've also got Shiloh. Shiloh is a prince. He's not the king. You can only have one king. Okay, yeah. so that, that really wouldn't work. And even from what I've been studying outside of Isaiah that I need to go over, I'm seeing this individual that's set apart being referenced as a prince, whether it is a blessing setting him apart from his brother's or it is like even um, in Isaiah, I'm seeing uh, I'll make babes princes over you, and I'll make children princes over you. Or the, the like. There, there's this language of a prince, the Messiah. If we're going to say that the Bible is a progressed story, we can't say that the Messiah would be a prince. He would be a king. Right. So um, I'm still seeing like a little bit of that and that would make sense also with Ephraim losing his fortress because its fortress was given to Shiloh so I mean I can I can see a little bit of understanding from several different perspectives but I'm not going to attach myself to any of them just yet right I'm, I'm hoping that maybe I can come to a little bit more understanding now that I know that the ships from Kittim go against the same who, individual who is Asher and the king in the north, and even Isaiah says the Assyrian in the north. So, I mean, this is consistent. And, I mean, that's what got me through the first seal, and that's what got me through the second seal, and now I'm looking at the third seal. Right, well, cons consistency is key in everything. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so then we go to chapter 19, and once again, read the whole chapter. I basically went over some of the bullet points about what goes on, and then... It's about Egypt, and it's a little bit of language that is against Egypt and also for Egypt. Uh, we got a civil war and the tottering of idols. And what's so interesting about that is I went and I looked at this Christian commentary about the tottering about the tottering of idols. And I thought it was really neat about what they said, what this commentary said. It said that each plague was significant to a certain Egyptian god. I can't remember how they did it, but there's a there's a unique little commentary out there and I think that I can see that I can see that because you I mean you got a mod you got a God that mocks those who hate him so by having these plagues to right, mock each right other, because you, know, you worship these other gods these are how your other gods fail you yeah oh they're the god of frogs where well, some frogs or, or whatever I don't I don't know what the significance was you would have to actually go out there and look at these commentaries you should, you should see if you can find it and once we release the episode post it in the comments uh, I don't know if I can do that. I'll try. 
I don't know that I don't know if viewers can read comments. I've had some I've had some people, well, voice messages, but not not anything really. Not really anything really worth talking about at the moment. Um, so chapter nineteen. Um, that is concerning Egypt, and there's like a civil war, and we know that. Well. There are there are parts in the Bible that talks about division in the house, households like fighting against each other. Mm -hmm. The Messiah said, "Don't think I come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword. I come to bring division." And this will what be division would be that first seal, that test that Constantine the Great with the man-made doctrines. Right. So. Uh, continuing chapter 19, it says, After uh, Egypt will worship God with the Assyrians, which from that understanding, it should be noted that it's not all of Assyria. It would just be that one, uh, it would say that the Antichrist is an Assyrian. Okay. Right. So Assyria would still be like that. The, there is, like, there's sympathy for everybody. There's sympathy even for the Assyrians. But it's just saying that that individual is an Assyrian. Right. So there's sympathy in chapter 19 where the whole thing is about Egypt, but it says Egypt will worship God with the Assyrians, even though the whole chapter is about the Egyptians. So there's still sympathy for the Assyrians, which should be helpful in you know continuously reading all these uh, Latter-day prophecies that I'm going over. And then chapter 24 you have the whole chapter is important again. It's judgment on the whole earth because verse five says because they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. The everlasting covenant is you will you will be my people and I will be your God. That's what basically what it goes down to. And it all goes back to Abraham, and the, these these terms and conditions are changed and are changed through covenants, whether it be circumcision or it be the blood of the lamb or it be the blood of the Messiah. Or what I'm reading now is the commandments of Noah from the Ten Commandments. And even looking at Constantine the Great, it seems like Constantine the Great's commandments were um, mandatory, but only until we gained the knowledge that they were wrong. Because we have a God that works off of accountability. That's how I'm seeing it. Right. So I'm seeing a set apart. Like, yes, Constantine the Great was mandatory, but Deuteronomy 13 says it was a test. And now that we gain that knowledge, right. Hebrews tells us that we, like, once you gain the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So it was saying, like, yes, it was mandatory to set us apart until we knew better. You see what I'm saying? So that would basically be chapter 24. So I seeing who's paying attention and who's not. Well, who would be putting God in a box? Because, I mean, if, if, you're going to say God is alive, then you would have to read it as a history book. Like there would have to be something there. Like you could ask a thousand questions. Why do Christians worship the same God the Jews do, but in a different way? Well, does my God say anything about it? And then yeah. you, scriptures, God breathe. You let God breathe. Right. And it comes to a point where you have to forget everything you were ever taught, but still cling to the basics. God sent his son to die for my sins, and he resurrected. Those are the basics. 
because we are told that a Messiah, by Messiah that all sins will be forgiven. Okay, but we can't let it just stop there. Not when we're given this, this test. I would see it as a test because when we when we go outside and we or even on social media we see this bickering and and all these videos where that's a sin you're going to hell well you don't even do it you're like well God knows my heart so then we get to a we get to a problem to where well what if somebody gets curious what if somebody wants to be sure. And it is that division that the Messiah brought. And it is that, 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 that is the reason why a house cannot be divided. Right. So, that's basically, that's where I'm at with it. With reading it as a history book. And knowing, and I think I said in one episode, it was like the chapter, uh, the 23rd chapter of the book of Joshua where he, he talks about breaking covenants. God said he would never break his covenant with us. It was always us that did it. And each right. time we did it, or each time, you know, humanity was to go through like a change in their culture or their environment, or maybe it was just a change made by God. Because it does, like prophets do say that God changes times and laws. It's just up to us to know whether or not, well, how is he going to do it? He does it through the prophets. It's up to us to whether or not to know is it a prophet or is it a false prophet. Constant and Great would be a false prophet. Right. If he was to say, oh, we're not going to follow the ways of the Jews anymore. It's disgusting. We're going to follow these gods. Right. So that's what Constant and Great did. It's written in history. You can Google it. You can pay however much you want when you go to college to learn it. It's there. It happened. And it's not something that we can actually say didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be be playing with a flamingo. You know, flamingo, they stick their head in the sand. Yeah. They do to avoid, like, predators and stuff. So that's my understanding. In chapter 24, I mean, it's a Latter-day prophecy. He tells you he's going to destroy the earth. And he tells you why. So, I mean, you can't argue with that. They broken the everlasting covenant and transgressed the laws and violated the statutes. But then you also got to look at it. Well, we do practice law and grace. Right. So um, I feel like I got a booger. Um, <laughs> chapter 27. Chapter 27 is very interesting. Um, I recommend going to Jewish commentary for this. If you, uh, I haven't done an episode on none of these verses yet, but if you simply go out there and just Google what I'm saying, you will find it. Um, I'm very, very bad with uh, preparing for this stuff. I'm terrible. But it talks about how the uh, uh, Feast of Tabernacles will be celebrated. And you know, what do you think of when you think of Feast of Tabernacles? Uh, eating at a church. You, you, th- you think of eating a feast. It's food. Okay, so. I mean, yeah, eating a feast at a church. A tabernacle is a church. Yeah, you call it on this thing. Your mind's going to eat a lot. That's how I see it. Like I don't even see it as a holiday. I just see it like a meal. That's how I see it. Yeah. But when you 
I mean, and that's just me. That's just me. That's not me saying, hey, you've got to think the way I do. But that's just how I see it. But when you look at Jewish commentary about this, it pretty much matches exactly what you read in chapter 27. And it's the slaughtering of the Leviathan. And if you go out there and you study this story that complements this verse, um, when... God created earth. He created two leviathan, a male and a female, and supposedly the earth cannot contain the violence that these two creatures brought. So he basically killed one and left one here. And supposedly the one left here would be the one that chapter 27 says he was slaughter. Now, I don't, I'm not about to entertain any kind of bullshit. I'm just going to call it bullshit, just like the Lucifer. I'm not going to entertain that bullshit. Like, the, like Hollywood or whatever you want to call it, they take these verses and they attach some like fucking trick-or-treat genre to it and it's annoying. But from what I have studied, even like it, when it comes to Old Testament, I don't trust Christian commentary. I will go to Jewish commentary, but most Christian commentary doesn't really, it doesn't really contradict the Jewish commentary. But at times, I feel like the Jewish commentary isn't right either. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of these things, a lot of these millennial prophecies, me and Christians agree they have already happened. The ones that are said in the New Testament, me and them both agree that they already happened. Some of these um, Messianic prophecies, I agree with the Jews that, no, that was not about the Messiah. Now... I can see, like, there's this one verse about, uh, his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, and the government will be on his shoulders. A lot of Christians say that's about the Messiah. I feel like yes and no. I feel like it is about the individuals that the Jews say, but at the same time, because names mean things, there's a verse that talks about the Messiah being called Emmanuel. Has the Messiah ever been called Emmanuel in the New Testament? No, he hasn't. But... It's the art of poetry in these names. Names mean things. If you were to take the meanings of the names from Adam all the way to Noah in the genealogy, it tells a story. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Fill in the blanks all the way to Noah, which means comfort. And it says, man appointed moral sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the rest or the despairing comfort and rest. It tells a story. And that's, that was, that was the practice of these primitive cultures at the time. That's why Isaac was laughter. If you study about that, Sarah laughed. Because she was like, oh, I'm too old to be pregnant. And then she gave birth to Isaac, so she laughed. That's why all these names, they're, even though that, that one verse was about that king at the time, the wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, the government on his shoulders, it was about him. It was reflective of a future individual as well. Right. And I feel like that's where the Jewish and the Christian point of view kind of sort of collide. I can see a little bit of both. But because if we're going to be honest, both people, the Jews and the Christians, have put God inside of a box. Yeah. And, and that's a real sensitive topic because it's either we either get, uh, well, this is what I believe or God knows my heart. It's one or the other, but it's never an acceptance of a mistake and a correction in it. Sometimes I get that, sometimes I don't. I have never been able to sit down and explain to anybody past Constantine the Great. 
nobody would get past that part because I don't know if it's because they don't feel like I'm not a college-ordained minister. I don't know if they feel like it's because like they, that's just not what they choose to believe. I don't know if it's because... Like, I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why, but when I look at these verses, I know lambs don't have horns. I know a horn is a king. I've seen his name equals 666. I see it in history. I see consistency, studying past uh, Constantine Great in the Bible. I'm seeing consistency, and this story keeps going, and it gets to where I can't explain it. I don't know how to explain it. It's not, it's not in my personality to explain things in what would be seen as a friendly way. Most of the time that I talk, I don't really add context to the words that I say. Not saying that people take things out of context, but they just imply their own context to what I say. I don't have any kind. I just say shit. That's just me. But when I get up here and I explain things, I say it in the same tone that I say things when I just say shit. It's like without feeling. Like I try to explain this stuff and it may come off of like, oh, I don't see remorse in this. I can see remorse in it, but at the same time, because I'm a little bit further in my studies, I have a harder time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm so deep in my studies about it. My feelings have already been addressed. My feelings have already been corrected. And I'm going, I've moved on from it. Right. So. But even more into uh, 27. That's, there's more about the blossoming of Jacob. And then the, uh, no more ashram or sun images. Basically, no more sun worship. And we're seeing sun worship through. Yeah, it's been throughout history. Yeah, and uh, if I don't know if you actually gone back and listened to all my episodes. We, we know winter solstice, Saturnalia, the longest day of the sun of the year. Right? And uh, listen, if you go back and listen to my episodes, or even what I've already told you, Christmas is sun worship. Right. So God's saying that that's not going to be a thing anymore. Um. And no more ashram. An ashram um, would be, they're very similar to the Egyptian obelisk and the Washington Monument. Um, they were basically uh, wooden poles. Some people have even linked these ashram poles to be in uncircumcised penises. Uh, there is a lot of uh, sexually explicit of, uh, Symbolism in a lot of these. Uh, so, are we saying that the Washington monuments are uh, forced on uncircumcised dicks? That is a possibility, man. Our government is fucking crazy. I ain't speaking for them. Like I told you, I'm a spectator. Let them do what the fuck they want. Separation <laughs> of church and state. I'm done. I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know either. I don't know. I don't know. But that's what Asherim is. Um, and no more sun worship. And then verses 10 through 11, the fortified city will be abandoned and will receive no mercy from God. So that's where I got so far with Isaiah. Now, uh, we were talking to, uh, we were talking to Andrew and I wanted to do a recap episode. Uh, and when I started off this episode, I said that, what? What am I doing? Am I that, this yes. 
Uh, when I started off, when I started off all these episodes, uh, before Eli, before I even brought you in, I said this is going to be an open podcast. And as I'm doing this, uh, our open study uh, podcast. So as I'm doing these studies, if I learn anything, you know, if I find that I made a mistake, I'm going to go back to the drawing board. Um, right now, what I'm thinking about is Daniel chapter 2 mentions the clay and the feet and then the ten toes and I'm wondering if the iron isn't Rome like before I said iron is not no excuse me before I said the iron is not Rome now I'm thinking that the iron is Rome except the clay was brought in by Constantine the Great into Nebuchadnezzar's statue because Nebuchadnezzar's statue is the first real visual representation that you actually have of the latter-day kings of Daniel and the latter-day kings of Revelation because Revelation and Daniel, they, they go hand in hand. It's like a hand to a glove is what they are. And the king of the north, the king of the north has always been the individual's name that equals 666. If you go out there and look at all these commentaries, people have always linked them to that. The only problem is nobody's paid attention to the horns. Okay? That's where me, I came in with this, like, costing 66, the earth is going to burn, whatever. So that's where I'm at. I think that Constantine Great brought in the clay, but I'm still sticking with him being the first horn coming like a lamb, speaking like a dragon. I'm still seeing that. I'm still seeing... Uh, Revelation basically being uh, a book of repercussions, one for like you know Shiloh bringing a correction and then the death of Shiloh, but Revelation also having the language of a divorce document, just as Jeremiah was given a divorce for Israel, the Israelites and their exile to Babylon. Right. So. I'm seeing, I'm seeing it still be a divorce. I'm just seeing it being a preparedness for the real thing. Um, and right now where I'm at with it is I'm having to go to the prophets and get all the uh, Latter-day prophecies and see how they fit in. And also keeping in mind that a lot of these prophecies are in these prophets have already happened in the past and there may be a chance that they may near, they may not have any repetition to them while some may do may have repetition to them so it's hard for me to understand well which ones are may repeat and which ones couldn't repeat so and, and there are some prophecies out there that couldn't repeat um so with Assyria um, we got an exile to Assyria for what I'm saying uh, with what uh, Isaiah is telling us and a rescuing from Assyria where the Assyrians will also worship God and also Egypt so I'm wondering if Egypt isn't the king of the south in Daniel but right now, I mean, it's just a guess. I want to see where it went. I thought Asher was king of the north, and I'm still seeing Assyria be a consistent subject with them being 
destroyed them also worshiping God. But it's still that set apart language that we see with Shiloh and Ephraim. Ephraim gets destroyed except for the one set apart from his brothers, which is a prince, which would be Shiloh. So yeah. it's not say it's not a genocide. It's not. It's a humbling except for that individual right. and the ones that, you know, actually worship the first beast, the image of the beast, and take the mark of the beast as prescribed by that individual who's will be an Assyrian, Asher, the North King, and names equal 666. But the location of the covenant, I said the covenant changes location. When, as long as it is on seven hills, that is the only facts we are told about it. We know it sits on seven hills. Right now, it would be the Vatican. But after Shiloh, I feel like after Shiloh, it may move to that great city, Sodom and Egypt. I've already said, I feel like it's America. Washington, D.C. also has seven hills. Okay, but we're also told where the first beast rises from the bottom of pit and kills two witnesses in that great city that spiritually Sodom and Egypt saw. I see that covenant moving to that same place. So the only thing we know is that it has seven hills. As long as it has seven hills, it fits the description. And based off of this story that it's telling, I don't know if Assyria has seven hills. It may, have, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. But um, I'm going to keep reading into this, see where it goes. How far into this are we? You got to sign in. 29 minutes. We're 29 minutes into it. That's not, that's not bad time. Um... <laughs> I could talk a little bit about Zephaniah. Zephaniah is a short book. Talk about the Zephaniah. Talk about Zephaniah. I, just, I like that name. Yeah, Zephaniah is only three chapters. You got chapter one. That's the day of God's wrath. That matches everything that I've already said, plus Malachi chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 2 Peter chapter 3. And you got chapter 2, judgments on the Philistines, the Moabites, the Ammonites, Cush and Assyria, and Assyria gets destroyed. I said that in this episode, I think. Uh, there's a call to repentance, verses 1 through 3. Uh, Chapter 3, there's judgment on Jerusalem, verses 1 through 5. There's purific purification of nations, verses 6 through 8. And there's restoration of Jacob, verses 9 through 20. So Zephaniah is all Latter-day language, the whole book. And we're still, so chapter 2, Assyria. Like, we're still having Assyria. Uh, Zephaniah is three chapters and it seems that all three chapters are continuous. They all have latter-day language to them. And Assyria is still a consistent subject. We're seeing it be destroyed. We're seeing the Assyrians will go to Mount Zion to worship God, but Assyria gets destroyed. It's not the people, it's the land. The land will be a desolation, not the people. We're seeing sympathy for the people, but not the land and not the Black Rider, the third seal of the Antichrist, King of North Asher. Um, 
Zephaniah. Zephaniah was a short book. I'm, I'm trying to go through all these prophets, knock them out one by one. Let's see what kind of story it says. It's, it's uh, it sounds a lot like the stuff the Israelites went through in the Old Testament. That's what it sounds like. This is all saying like it's all got this latter day language to it. Let's see, I want to talk a little bit about Marduk. Uh, this is from ancient.eu website. It's an article titled The Marduk Prophecy. It's written by Joshua J. Mark. Uh, let's see, he goes over the Marduk Prophecy and apparently it was an Assyrian document. Uh, it goes over when it was and apparently this Assyrian document was um, propaganda for this king. It, it was wrote to make it look like it was an old prophecy. And it talks about how, uh, let's see. Here's a little bit about Marduk. It talks about the, ta the when it got said, no, 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 no. Talk about the Assyrian king will bring uh, Marduk back to Babylon or a strong Babylonian king. Where does it say that? It goes over the Enumahalish. I talked a little bit about this in my earlier episode. Um, but I think in the last episode I talked a little bit about this Babylonian prophecy about statue being returning. I think that's a little bit interesting. Uh, there's, I haven't studied into it. I know what I was taught previously before all my studies that the Antichrist is supposed to go into the temple. We don't have a temple. So that don't make sense to me. But reading it it does have that language. Looking at this prophecy, this Babylonian prophecy concerning Marduk, if we've got this battle between the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob versus the God of Marduk, is it a possibility that this prophecy would be attempted to take place, but it just brings disaster? So... That's, that's a helpful little article. It helps you get understanding about Marduk and uh, the timing. And I think it goes over a little bit about the kings that worship Marduk. And that's on uh, ancient.eu. Called the Marduk Prophecy. So, how do you feel about all that, Eli? interesting stuff I wonder if the prophecy of Marduk will cause um, the falling of Assyria and then them like them being brought away from that is their rescue we'll see and that's when after all of that happens is when they go to Mount Zion there's a 
there's a lot of curses that go overlooked. <laughs> there's curses in the Torah, but there's also a curse denying kingship to the Messiah too, and that's in First Samuel chapter eight, being where Samuel tells the Israelites, "Because you have rejected God as your king, He will give you a king that will oppress you." And because uh, we got what would seem to be Shiloh preparing the way for the king, the Messiah, through the commandments of Noah, he gets killed. So there's a denial of kingship to the Messiah to which we're given ten kings that will oppress us. So there's ultimately more curses than just that. So when you talk about the destruction of Assyria, there are, there are curses that also inflict on land, I guess. I, I wouldn't say like building something on an Indian burial ground, but there are some like curses to land. Like there, there are curses out there, and a lot of these curses, they are important because, you know, Paul says that the Messiah took the curse for us because the Torah says that whoever's hung on the tree is cursed. So it's important that we learn these curses and also these blessings. Right. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. There, there's reason for this destruction of this land. And plus, even, um, what was that? I won't do anything that I haven't revealed to my prophets, is what he says, or uh, something something in that likeness. And so all these prophets, they talk about all this destruction of Assyria too. So another reason that it would be destroyed is because he said it's going to happen. And there's several different arguments you can bring to them because it just says it's going to happen. And they also both saying, you'll know that I'm God because once what I said has happened has happened, you will know. So, I mean, there's plenty of arguments to be made as to why Assyria would be destroyed. But a lot of it is because of curses. Kind of the way it's worded. Yeah. That's a little bit about Isaiah and the Marduk and Zephaniah. I ain't going to be, I don't feel like I'm going to be going back to Zephaniah, but I'm not done with Isaiah. I want to hurry up and get through Isaiah so I can get back to actually talking about other stuff, stuff that's not just fixated no. on one thing, you know, yeah, you we were talking about you know, the kingdom of heaven thing, like, about the government and all that. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the government, the kingdom of heaven, and all that. I'm probably going to do that after I wrap up Isaiah. I want to get Isaiah out of the way. Okay. Fair. Um, but where are you at with it, man? How do you feel about what oh, I read to you? It's all intriguing as to how the, the history goes and finding things that could be still to come and just guessing on how things are going to play out. It's a very uh, interesting way of looking at things. And I'm, I'm definitely learning a lot from it. 
and actually going back and reading instead of just listening to someone else's interpretation. Mm-hmm. That's what needs to be done. That's why I'm saying read the whole chapter. Yeah. It's, it's all important. Even if you get a different perception than me, reading the whole thing is important than just taking what you want and leaving the context behind. Right. So. All right. So I think we should go ahead and wrap this episode up. Sounds good. Um, as far as the uh, website goes, I'm still doing a website. I'm probably going to end up having it hosted by uh, WordPress. I'm trying to get everything into a visual format. Uh, I have neither the time, neither the resources to do so. But that is something that is in the works. And I will uh, be po- uh, as soon as I get that launched, I'll share a link or announce I'll also announce an episode obviously but that's something in the works is doing a website uh, so I asked you to help me you said that was fine yeah don't really know when that's going to be but uh, that's it for tonight we'll be going to be posting a new episode next Saturday later Word. peace